Everybody say amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I want to talk to you about the grace of God today. I want to talk to you about the grace of God in your pain, in your pain. Um, There's probably not a person here that's not hurting somehow because we do live in a fallen world, and I want to show you how that God visits us in our pain by grace. So I want you to stand for the reading of God's Word, and I'm going to read 10 verses, but I'm going to go through them quickly. I want to give you the context. Can everybody say context, context, context? Now, those are the three rules for interpreting the Bible. Context is king, all right? So let's look at the context. This is the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He's being very real with us, and he says this, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, he's talking about himself here. And he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. Can you imagine having a vision? You don't even know if you were in your body or not. All right. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise, that's heaven, and heard inexpressible things, things that nobody is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now notice, he's telling the truth. He's not denying reality. He's not saying it wasn't there or it's not there. God never told you or me ever to deny reality. That's Christian science. So right here, Paul's telling the truth. This thorn in my flesh, it tormented me. It was so bad, verse 8, so bad. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, I want you to read this with me, everybody, good and loud. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'm going to boast about all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is, why for Christ's sake? Now listen to this, everybody. I delight in weaknesses. I've never been there. I've never been there. So we're going to learn something today. He says, I delight in insults. I've never been there. I've never delighted in being insulted. I delight in hardships. Not been there. I delight when I get persecuted. All right, I'm being persecuted. I've never been there either. How many of you can say I've been there? Nah. Oh, one person raised their hand. Look out, lightning. Now watch this. I delight in difficulties. Now, but, but here's why. He tells us why he can say that. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Right? Yeah. 
Father, we want to understand this. We want to walk in this. We want to experience it. So, Lord, help us today. And I pray that you will help us in our pain to understand the grace of God that is sent to help us in our pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I don't get it, but I will. <laughs> amen. Amen. Okay, clearly Paul was in pain. He didn't lie about it. He didn't deny it. He didn't feel that it was a lack of faith to say, I'm in pain. All right? What a lack of faith. He said it. He was afflicted. And the affliction was so extreme. He said it was a messenger from Satan. And he said it was so vexing that I went to God three times. He's not saying he went to God just, oh, Lord, if, you know, if you can find the time, if you would please deliver me from this pain. It wasn't like that. No, he went to God in earnest, heartfelt, um, desperate prayer that God would remove it. And God did not do it. Rather than remove it, God chose to overrule Satan's wicked intent and use it for greater growth in Paul's life. That's what he did. He said, no, Paul, I, I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm going to take you through it. I'm not going to deliver you from it. I'm going to deliver you in it. Um, and, and that's the way God does with you and me. No matter what the trial is, there's only two options. God is going to take us through it, or is he going to take us out of it? Now, we love the out of it part. We, we love the deliverance. We love the immediate healing, the instant deliverance, the instant answer. We love it when God moves in to, to an area where we're hurting, and he just does a miracle, and it's over with in a flash. That's what we love. But you know what I've seen in walking with God a lot of years is more times than not, God chooses to take us through it than to take us out of it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire. He didn't keep them from the fire. But in the fire, they learned that the fire, though it was real, was not going to hurt them, burn them, ruin them, destroy them, kill them. And they encountered the fourth man in the middle of their trial. So God chose to teach them something in the fire rather than take them or keep them from the fire. Now, what Paul experienced was what God did with Joseph. Joseph was able to say, what the enemy meant for evil, God meant it for good. My brothers lied about me. They lied to my daddy, Jacob. My brothers sold me down the river into slavery. I didn't do anything wrong. I, I, I was being a good... Now, he was a little bit prideful. He was, he was, he was ratting on them. He was going out where they were uh, tending sheep in the field, and he would go back to Jacob and say, well, they were kind of doing this and that. So he was kind of ratting on his brothers, but he wasn't an evil, malicious young boy. And yet his brothers lied about him, threw him into a pit for, for, for doing nothing. They hated his guts because his father Jacob loved him and favored him and had made for him that coat of many colors. And the coat of many colors was a sign of the father's favor. And you will find in life, just as a little aside here, you will find in life that if God ever favors you, a lot of folks aren't going to like it. 
If God favors you with a ministry or with some kind of a blessing, there are some that will really rejoice with you and others are not going to like it at all. They will, they will hate you because of God's blessing. They will be angry because of God's blessing. They will be full of jealousy and envy because of God's blessing. And so sometimes it's not about you at all. It's about people being angry at you because of the favor of God on your life. Yeah. But that's another message altogether. But here's the deal. Joseph was sold into slavery. He he was put on a slave block. He was bid for. He was bought like a slave. He was taken into uh, the house of somebody where, where the woman lied about him and accused him of trying to sexually assault her when it wasn't true at all. He was thrown into prison for a lie. So he was betrayed, 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 betrayed. If you had looked at Joseph's life, from the outside in, you would have said, where is God in this guy's life? Because everything is going wrong for him. But the fact of the matter is, the grace of God was shining his way. The grace of God was keeping him. And in the end of things, when the, he, was, he was reconciled with his brothers, he was able to say to them, what you meant for evil, my God turned it for the good. The grace of God was operating on Joseph's life. The grace of God. Everybody say the grace of God. So when, 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 when God doesn't take us out of it, he has decided to overrule what Satan is trying to do in your life and work it and turn it for the good. He turns it. Now, so when God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm not going to remove the thorn from you because there's something going on in your life, Paul, that is bigger than you. I'm giving you divine revelation that you're going to write into a book. And it's called the Holy Bible. And and 20 centuries from now, Paul, though you don't know it, Christians are going to be reading what the Holy Ghost moved on you to write. And they're going to be getting strength from what you wrote and revelation from what you wrote. Paul, I'm using it in a way, my hand is on your life in a way your brain could never fully comprehend. But I'm using what the enemy is trying to do to you. I'm going to turn it for the good. But one way I'm going to use it, Paul, is I'm going to use it to keep you from getting so proud that I can no longer give you revelation. I've got to keep you humble. And so the thorn is going to help keep you humble. That's what Paul said. Lest I be exalted for all the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was sent to me to keep me riding low so that he could keep on giving me revelation. Thank God that happened because we have Ephesians, we have Colossians, we have Philippians, we have one and two Thessalonians, we have one and two Corinthians, we have all the beautiful, powerful, life-changing epistles the Holy Ghost moved on Paul to write. And he could receive these revelations because the thorn was keeping him humble. Amen. Now, when he said, my grace is sufficient for you, what is grace? Well, the classic definition is this. Grace is unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. That's what it is. When God gave me his grace, it wasn't because I earned it, because I look good, because I'm, because I'm of the Wickwire family. It wasn't because I... Um, um, have a, a doctorate degree. He didn't give me his grace 
that because of anything that had to do with me, had nothing to do with me. The whole idea behind the word grace is it's extended to you out of the character of God to you when you don't deserve what he's giving you. See, we were his enemies in our minds and in our actions and in our lifestyles. And the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The grace was extended when we could never have earned it, deserved it, when we didn't merit it. It was unmerited, undeserved, unearned. Grace is a gift. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. But it is a gift, a gift from God. What is a gift? The, the giver gives a gift to the recipient of the gift because the giver of the gift wants to. And all that the recipient can do is either take it or not take it. And, and that's a gift. And God gifted the human race with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. 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 But it's undeserved. It's unearned. It's unmerited. It had nothing to do with me. Grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was so lost. And now I'm found. I was blind, so terribly blind, but grace was extended to me and to you. And there we were, beating a fast track to hell. And the grace of God intercepted us, stood in our path, like the angel stood in Balaam's path and stopped him while he was riding the donkey, the angel, he didn't even see the angel, but the angel stopped him. He got angry at the donkey. He didn't realize the angel was stopping him from destroying his life. And when he finally saw the angel, he said, now I get it. You're trying to stop me from a bad decision. The grace of God will stand in front of you in your path. And the grace of God will knock on the door of your heart. Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. He, Jesus stands in your path and he says, wait a minute. I died for you. I rose from the dead and, and I'm offering my salvation to you. And that is grace. That's grace. It's undeserved, unmerited. It is simply because God loved us. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, one of a kind son, that whoever believes on him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And grace is like a golden thread that is woven through the entirety of our life. We are saved by grace. We are sustained in our Christian life by grace. We are going to be taken to heaven by grace. It's grace at the beginning, grace in the middle, grace at the end. We are surrounded by, encompassed by grace. Grace, grace, grace. Amen. And throughout eternity, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. When we go to heaven and we fall at his feet and cast our crowns at his feet, we're going to be saying, only by your grace am I here. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. You extended it in your mercy and in your love. And so what can I do but praise you for all time and all eternity? Because by grace, I'm here in heaven and not in hell. Yes. Everybody say amazing grace. 
it is amazing grace. It's almost crazy grace. Because, because what kind of grace uh, reaches out to those it wants to save who are enemies? It's crazy grace. Amazing grace. Unfathomable grace. Incomprehensible grace. Amen. Paul attributed everything that he had accomplished and all that he was as the great apostle Paul to grace. Yeah. See, you're being sustained by grace right now, and so am I. You got up today. You said, no, I got up today because I take care of myself. Let me tell you something. You, you, the Bible says that your next breath is in the hands of God. So you may take care of yourself, good for you, but, but he has allowed you to live. He allowed you to get into your car. He allowed you to get into church and praise his name. He's still got a purpose for you in his grace, and that's why you're here. He is sustaining us. Listen to what Paul said. He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. You thought that came from Popeye. I am what I am, and that's all what I am. I'm... No, that came from the Bible. Paul said, you see me, you see, you see what I have done, you see what I'm doing, all the works, all the souls, writing two-thirds of the New Testament, reaching the Gentiles, going before Caesar, risking my life, leading the church. You see all this? He said, I am what I am by the grace of God. I got no room to boast, no room to brag, no room to strut. No, I'm not strutting. I'm bowing. I'm bowing before the one who has graced me to be what I am. Uh, anything I am that, that looks like Jesus, that is the fruit of the Spirit, that is good, that is righteous, it, it is by the grace of God. And what I'm not yet, grace hasn't touched yet. But I am what I am by the grace of God. And then he said, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. He didn't give me grace in vain. No, no, no. I labored even more than everybody else, all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Do you hear how many times in one verse he says grace? I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace wasn't in vain. I am laboring by the grace of God. It is grace sustaining me, grace energizing me, grace carrying me, grace motivating me. He said even when it comes to provision, it comes from God's grace. And God is able, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. That's talking about material provision. And he said, even material provision, when you get that job, or somebody hands you some money to help you, or, or, or some provision comes your way somehow, he said, it came by the grace of God. It came by the grace of God. See, we are all debtors to the grace of God. Amen. I think I'm going to talk about grace today. Now, now I want you to notice that, that Paul said, Paul, Paul was told by Jesus, he said, Paul, I'm not going to take you out of it. I'm, I, I'm not going to deliver you from it. I'm going to deliver you in it. And, and here, here's the deal, Paul. I want you to know this. God's grace is sufficient for you. Now, sufficient in the English language just means enough, enough. But in the Greek language, it means more than that. 
The Greek word is a stronger word. It, it means to be content, uh, to raise a barrier of protection, to experience unfailing strength. That's what the grace of God does. That's what sufficient means. It means, here's how it's sufficient. God's grace is going to build a barrier of protection around you. God's grace is going to empower you to be content even in your trials. And God's grace is going to infuse into your inner man supernatural strength. Way more than the word enough. Amen. He wasn't saying to Paul, grow up, Paul. Quit whining. He wasn't saying that to Paul. He wasn't saying to him, you'll understand it better by and by. No, here's what he was telling him. And by telling him, he's telling all of us because we have the same faith, same Jesus, same blood has washed away our sin. So it's for all of us. He was saying, Paul and church, my grace will sustain you, hold you up, raise a barrier of protection for you, and will inject inner strength into your inner man so you are fully able to carry on. That's what grace will do. So, so I want to talk to you about three things that grace will do, three ways that it manifests in our life. Because there's nobody in here, hardly, that's not hurting somehow. You got, on a scale of one to ten, uh, you have maybe one level pain, either emotional or physical, or you're at ten, or you're somewhere in between. You're hurting emotionally, your heart is hurting You've been hurt by somebody, uh, you're disappointed, you're disillusioned, or you're, maybe you're fighting, um, feeling unworthy because of some sin in your life. Uh, maybe you're dealing with everything from a migraine to cancer, but, but you're in a battle. People say to me, why do Christians battle these things? Because we're in a fallen world. It's a fallen world. That's what the Bible says. It's a fallen world. It's a world infected with sin and infested with devils. So we're in a fallen world, and you can't be in it without skin in your knee. You can't be in it without getting hurt somehow, experiencing some pain. And that's why Paul had to say something like, uh, I am persuaded the sufferings of this present time. He admitted this world, its suffering, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed. But when you're in this present time, there's sufferings. And I'm not going to lie and tell you, yeah, you gotta, you gotta get saved and get filled with the Holy Ghost and you're in a protective bubble and you're never going to experience anything wrong. And if the devil tries to get you, uh, get to you and you experience some pain, just say that it's not there and confess it away. It doesn't work that way, folks. Come on. It does not work that way. Sometimes God says, I'm going to, I'm going to grace you in the middle of your pain and I'm going to take you through it. Amen. So let's talk about three ways the grace of God manifests. The first way, strength in your weakness. The grace of God, the undeserved, unmerited, unearned favor, blessing of God will give you strength in your weakness. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness, in your pain." In your weakness, in your trouble, in your struggle, in your hurt, in your bleeding on the inside or maybe the outside, he says here, my strength by grace 
is going to be perfected. When you feel the weakest, I'm going to be the strongest in your life. When your strength runs out, mine is going to run in. When you feel like you can't take another step, he picks you up and puts you on his shoulders and he takes a step for you. He said, my strength is made perfecto in your inability, in your weakness. The Greek word is dunamis, ability to perform, dunamis, dynamite. We get from that Greek word, my power, my dunamis is made perfect, my, my, my ability to perform, giving you the ability to move forward when you didn't think you could. How, how many of you have been here uh, that are here right now, watching online, have been to a place in your life where things got so bad, you thought you were down for the count, you thought it was over, and the devil said to you, you're not ever going to be back in church, you need to give up on this God thing, I've got you now, you've blown it, you messed up, uh, you're never going to do anything with your life, you might as well give up, put up the white flag, check out, pick up your marbles and go home because God is done with you. Have you ever felt like he had you on the mat and was counting to 10? And now, and now everything that the devil said to you in a moment like that is now proven false because here you are in church again. Here you are in church again. And here you are worshiping God again. And here you are rejoicing in him again. And here you are up again. And here you are praising him again. And here you are doing the things the devil told you you would never do again. How did you get up again? You got up by grace. You got up by grace. It strengthened you. Amen. You you, you can't taste it. You can't see it. But it's there as real as the wind that blows that you can't see. Grace, grace, grace. God will give you the power, even in your weakness, that is supernatural, supernatural. And Jesus told Paul, Paul, when you feel your weakest with this thorn, it's when I am strongest. My grace, everybody say with me, grace makes me strong when my strength runs out. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They'll soar. They shall run and not be weary. They'll run. They shall walk and not faint. They'll walk. They'll walk. They'll run. They'll soar. And how do they walk, run, and soar? By waiting on the Lord. And how does he strengthen you? By grace. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect when you are down for the count. Amen. The second way grace manifests is teaching us to lean. There's an old song. I love this song. It goes, it's simple. It goes like this. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I wish I could sing like Cindy. I'd sing it, but I don't want to drive you out. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. Watch this. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Finding more power than I'd ever dreamed. Learning to lean on Jesus. That's so simple but so profound because you know what? It's true. You don't get it overnight. You learn to lean. You learn to lean. And what teaches you and I to learn to lean? Grace. Because God's telling Paul, Paul, you're down with this 
thorn. I get it. Your own strength has run out. You don't know how you're going to keep going. But Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's going to make you strong in your weakness, but it's also going to teach you to learn to lean. And you're going to find that the more you lean on me, the stronger you are. Because Paul, you're not a self-made man. You're a Christ-made man. The whole idea of a self-made man, self-made woman, that, that's a cultural myth. That's not true. You're not self-made. Um, there's so much stuff out there. We're told that we are the answer to our own problems because this culture doesn't want to look up and, and say, God, help me. So we hear things like this. You got it going on, girl. You got it going on, girl. And you got it going on, guy. You can do anything you set your mind to. Be positive because positivity always wins. We worship positivity. I'm quoting here from a positive confession speaker. Here's another quote. We can change our lives. We, 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 not he, we. We can change our lives. It's our New Year's resolutions, our rehab our turning over a new leaf, our best effort that changes us. We can do. Here's, here's one. One positive speaker said this. We can do, we can have, and we can be exactly what we wish. Can I tell you today, truthfully, listen, that's not true. Those are myths. So those speakers can make money off you. Yeah. They want your money. So you go to a positive confession seminar and you hear all these things because you're going to find out real quick that you can't do and you can't have and you can't be exactly what you wish. As a matter of fact, some of the most important things in life you and I could never do for ourselves. Never. Like what, Pastor Jeff? Well, okay, here's one. You can't deliver yourself from sin's power. You can't. You will never deliver yourself from sin's power. See, positive confession people say, I can do all things, and they stop there. But the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ. Because Jesus said, if you're going to be free from sin, you've got to have somebody stronger than the sin come into your life and break the one that has the power of sin, and only then can you really be free. Jesus said, he who the Son of God sets free is the one who is free indeed. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. But you can't free yourself from the power of sin. It is impossible for you in your own strength to free yourself from the power of sin. You can't. The Bible says in Romans 7, we're under the dominion of sin. Romans 6 as well, we're under the dominion of sin, under the rulership and the tyranny of sin until we come to Christ and he sets us free. Uh, you, you can't enter heaven on positivity. That's another thing you can't do. So I'm just going to be positive when I face God. Go for it. Go for it. God, don't you see how incredible I was on earth? You know, I gave money to the poor, and I did this, and I did that, and I did the other. No. God will say positivity can't get you into heaven. No, no, no. You'd have more luck climbing to the moon on a rope made of sand than getting into heaven on your own effort. You never will. You can't do it. It's impossible. You got it going on, girl? You may. 
but you can't get to heaven on your own, girl. Here's, you can't pay off your sin debt. You can't pay off your sin debt. You can't do that on your own. You can't pay off your sin debt. You say, well, what do you mean sin debt? Here's the deal. God, God's universe is a moral universe. And in a moral universe, any sin is a crime and must be answered with justice. Did you know that? Every sin is a scandal in God's universe. So every sin must be answered with justice. Now, you're going to face God in one of two ways. You're going to face him covered in the blood of the lamb. Because watch this, everybody. Here's why we're in church. There was a man named Jesus 20 centuries ago. He was the lamb of God. He was the sacrifice for our sins. He lived a sinless life. He was taken through kangaroo court. He was falsely accused. He was put on the cross, spikes in his wrists, spikes in his feet. They picked him up and they dropped him into the ground. Thud! And the Bible says, at high noon, it was as dark as midnight. Because all of nature knew that God the Son was dying for the sins of mankind. And on that cross, listen to me, on that cross, here's the good news. All our sin, all your sin, all my sin, all the sin of people past, people present, people future, all of our sin was laid on him. And Jesus took the rap. Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took your judgment and mine. God blamed him for what I did. He blamed him for what you did. And Jesus stood there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? Because at that moment in time, God had withdrawn his presence as the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when you place your faith in Christ, then, then that becomes activated for you. Now, you can't go tell me that because he died for the sins of all mankind, you don't need to repent and everybody is saved, no matter who. Charles Manson is saved, going to go to heaven. Uh, 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 Pol Pot's going to go to heaven. Um, um, Stalin's going to go to heaven because Jesus died for everybody. No, that's universalism. Universalism says you don't need to repent. Everybody's covered in the blood, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you have to personally go to him and say, Jesus, forgive me my sin. Now, when you do, God says, wiped away, thrown into the ocean, removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And how far is the east from the west? Well, the west is going this way and the, this way, and the east is going this way, and never do the twain meet. Your sin is removed. And so your sin is handled. And then when you face God, what'd you do with your sin? I put it on Jesus. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But if you go before God, Without the blood having covered your sin, then God said, what did you do with your sin? Well, I was a good person, and, and I went to PTA meetings, and I took care of my kids, and I never got a traffic ticket, and I gave some money to Salvation Army every Christmas, God, as I walked into Walmart, I gave, I gave money every time, and God said, but wait, what did you do with Jesus? What'd you do with Jesus? Well, you know, I heard about it, but, but you know, Lord, I knew that I was a good person fundamentally. 
And so I trusted in that. God will say, depart from me, I never knew you, because your sin requires justice. And if you don't let Jesus carry it for you, you will answer for it yourself. So you can't pay off your sin debt. That's what you can't do. And I can't do it. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. But now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. Amen? So everybody say, learning to lean. Learning to lean. So those are things you can't do that we must have him do for us. Jesus said, you can't even bear fruit. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can't do anything. Wow, thanks, Lord. I feel real competent listening to that. No, when it comes to fruit bearing, spiritual fruit, the stuff that really matters, we can't do it. We must lean. Last thing he'll do is turn pain into gain. Grace will turn pain into gain. Did you know that? Grace turns pain into gain. I didn't put that there for alliteration. I wasn't looking for something that rhymed. It just works. Pain into gain. He turns pain into gain. See, in the world, if you don't have God and you are in pain all the time, it kills you, it breaks you down, it destroys you. But when you're a child of God, there's something in your life operating that is not in others. It's grace. My grace, Paul, church, my grace is sufficient. It will build a wall of protection around you, and it will turn pain into gain. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. The pain of my weakness ends up being the doorway for my greatest strength through God's grace. Amen. We know that all things work together for the good. For those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Romans 8, 28. All things are made to turn in your favor. Turn in your favor. You know my story, most of you. I'm going to real quickly in a nutshell tell you. I was in the drug culture when I was a teenager. I was so ripe for the Beatles, Eastern mysticism, and drugs. Because I was just the right age. And I went into drugs. I went into hallucinogenics. I went into... Um, I never got hooked on an addictive, but I did all the other stuff that messed with your brain. And what it did, it messed with my brain. And when I got saved, I had a damaged brain in this, in this way. I had irrational fears that tormented me all the time, that got in through the gateway of drugs. You know, drugs is from a Greek word, pharmakia. And pharmakia means sorcery. And so when you go into drugs, you're opening the door to hell. Sorcery. It's a form of sorcery. Pharmakia. Pharmacy we get from. So I went into pharmakia, and it opened the door to hell for me. And hell was able to go in and put all kinds of these irrational fears into my brain that tormented me day and night and night and day. I had no rest. When I got saved, 
and, and I got spirit-filled, and God began to lead me into the ministry, this mountain rose up against me like a gigantic ogre in my mind. And the devil was trying to stop me in my tracks before I ever got going. I, I, I had a, a, a touch to preach. But I mean, I would preach and then I would go off and be tormented. And it, and it never stopped. When I woke up, I wished it was bedtime. When it was bedtime, I wished I was waking up. It was just never ending. And I was desperate. I said, God, you've called me to preach, but I can't live like this. I can't live with this. And one day, God said, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. That's a Psalm 19. Psalms 19. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. What was messed up in me? And um, the law of the Lord is his word. So that just that verse came out and just grabbed me by the throat and shook me. And I said, okay, if that's true, then there's an answer for me, and it's the Word. So what I started doing is I started memorizing it. I, I said, I'm going to memorize so much Bible, the devil's going to have no room in my head. <laughs> I'm going to kick him out. And, and so I memorized the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, every word all three chapters, every word. I just divided it into sections because Jesus teaches in themes. He teaches in different thoughts, different topics. And so I divided it off into topics or themes, and I would memorize that theme that day. My late wife, Kathy, who many of you knew, I would call her and say, hey, you got a few minutes because I'm going to quote to you the Sermon on the Mount without looking at the Bible. Okay, she would sit down on the phone. I'd call her from work, and I'd say, here it is. And I'd quote the whole Sermon on the Mount, and I would say it. I would talk it. I would speak it. I would think it because the Bible is God's thoughts, and, and it's healing. It, it was like the Word of God was covered in oil for my brain, olive oil, anointing oil. And then I went and I memorized the whole book of James, all five chapters, every word, whole book of James. I could have sat here and quoted to you the whole book of James without looking up, or without looking down, rather. And, and then I memorized Psalms 40, Psalms 19, Psalms 1. I didn't memorize Psalms 119. That's the longest one in the Bible. If you memorize Psalms 119, I want to meet you. Anyway, but I memorized tons of the Bible. And then one day I woke up and something struck me. I wasn't tormented. No, no, there was peace in my brain. And, and, and so, you know what I had done? I'd learned to lean. Jeff Wickwire could never have healed himself. But God's Word and the God of the Word could. And, and that's how, amen. And I began to experience just this freedom from this terrible thing that drugs had done to me. So, listen. Listen carefully to me. You can't take Jesus back into your past and change the past. That's nonsense. But you can be forgiven for your past, and God can heal you from what your past did to you. And so you know me. I'm a broken record up here when I say, you need to be in the Word of God all the time. This is the Word of God. I guarantee you this is the God-breathed Word. How do I know it was such authority? Because it healed me. 
It healed me. He sent his word and healed them. Amen? Can you stand with me? Amen. Now, I'm real transparent with you up here. I told you that because I want you to know his grace. See, he didn't take me out of it. He took me through it. And now I've got a testimony to people. As long as God lets me pastor and preach, and I've already told them I'll retire when I can't get there anymore. <laughs> no, I haven't told them that, but I've told Cindy that. There's no need for me to have to say that right now. You understand that? I'm doing really well. Don't, don't get me wrong. Well, I heard Pastor Jeff say he's talking about retiring. No, I'm not. I don't believe the Bible teaches retirement. It teaches transition. Amen. I'm a 60 going on 40. <laughs> I really am. I feel so good. Anyway, God's been good to me. Let's lift our hands. I want you to say his grace. Where are you hurting? Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it financial? But you're hurting. Is it, a, is it a one? Is it a ten? In severity? Five, six, wherever it is. Can you just give it to God right now? I want us together to say, Jesus, as did Paul, I give you my pain. Now name it. You know what it is. Say it. I give you my pain. Now, Lord, touch us at the point of our pain. Say with me, if you want to take me out, say it with me, everybody. If you want to take me out of the pain or take me through the pain, your will be done. I trust that either way, his grace is sufficient for me. Now I'm sensing right now in my heart, some of you need to really believe that. I say that in love. Uh, I've struggled believing it at times. But I want you to believe it. Even though you don't feel it, the promise is there. His grace is going to build a protective wall around you, is going to give you strength in your weakness, and is going to sustain you through the trial. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise and thanks for that? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.